Welcome to the Leathercraft Masterclass Podcast with your host, Philip Jury, taking you through the sweet sounds of leather. <laughs> they sound a bit more like Agent Smith from The Matrix, don't they? <laughs> oh, anyway, welcome to the Leathercraft Masterclass, guys. Um, and this week's podcast, I'm focusing on listeners' questions. Last week's episode was quite a controversial one, so this week I'm kind of bringing it back a little bit. Just going through some readers' questions, I've cherry-picked uh, a small handful, and uh, at the end of the podcast, I will talk a little bit more about the future of the podcast and where I'm going with it. So, with no further ado, let's just start with the questions and we'll go from there. So, this week's question, number one question, is from Tomasz in Poland. And uh, yeah, this is a, this is a, a, a common question <laughs> that I've had um, because of where I've you know what I've talked about for the podcast previously. So this is from Tomasz in Poland. Where are the interviews? <laughs> That's it. That's it. Just a DM. Where are the interviews? Okay, Tomasz. First of all, the main issue that I didn't predict was the difficulty in contacting people for interviews where I could guarantee enough sound quality where people can understand both me and the person that I'm interviewing remotely because there's not a lot of people that I can just drive to near me or that can come to me in the workshop and sit and and have a chat so most of the interviews that I'm going to be doing are going to be remote on the other side of the world in many different countries so trying to find a platform where they can talk to me in real time and then I can record that is quite difficult there doesn't appear to be and I've looked into this there doesn't appear to be a phone app that can record conversations that are happening over Wi-Fi so that's going to be a challenge the other one is quality if I'm talking to somebody on a telephone uh, on my smartphone for example the sound quality coming from their side there's very little that I can do to improve that using Audacity, which is the audio editing program that I use. So if, for example, I'm interviewing someone who has perhaps a thick or heavy accent, add to that, it sounds like a telephone call. You know, not everybody's going to be able to understand what they're saying 100% of the time. So I want to make sure that I have the best quality that I can find. And it looks like the program that I'm going to be dealing with is Skype, because I can actually make calls via Skype on a computer and you can record them within the program. Now that's not as invasive as getting somebody to buy a microphone, download a program, all they have to do is download Skype and most people have that on their PCs, it's a Microsoft uh, program, it's Microsoft software anyway, so most people actually have it somewhere on their computer anyway. So it's, you know, if I'm asking somebody for an interview and, you know, they don't have a lot of time. They don't want to make that much effort in doing something where they might not want, you know, they might be wondering what value can I get from doing a podcast with Phil. So if I'm, you know, trying to interview them, I don't want to have to make them have to jump through hoops in order to have an interview for this podcast. So I'm looking into the idea of purchasing a USB microphone, a decent one, that I can then just stick in a box and then ship it to wherever so that the person can just kind of take it out of the package, plug it into their laptop, open up Skype, do the interview, and at least you're going to get better sound quality 
than through a phone call. So that's what I'm looking at the moment. Right now I'm in testing. I'm trying to find the best way to record with Skype um, and how to edit edit the program afterwards or edit the audio afterwards so that people can clearly hear what that person is saying. So that's what I'm working on at the moment amongst many other things like obviously course videos, uh, making leather goods and you know various other things that I do in my business. So that's where I am at the moment. I have lots of people lined up, lots of people that I'm looking to interview, lots of people that have said yes to an interview, and I'm just currently working on the best way that I can do this with the best quality so that you get the best experience. So I'd rather not half-ass it and make, you know, and do an injustice to the individual that I'm interviewing and do an injustice to you guys who are listening if you can't really hear what they're saying or the quality is so poor that it's very difficult to listen to and it doesn't make for an enjoyable experience. So quality is what I'm looking for and that is what I'm waiting to achieve until I can then, you know, produce these podcast interviews. So apologies that it's taking so long. I will keep this podcast going. Of course, as soon as I do an interview, I will be announcing that absolutely everywhere. So don't worry. So thank you, Tomas, for asking and all those other people who are also asking. So moving on to the next question. And this is Sarah from New York. This is a very sweet email um, that I got from Sarah. Hi, Philip. Your Instagram is growing really fast! Exclamation mark. Thank you very much, Sarah. Congratulations. How can I grow my following on social media? Well, this is a complex one and I don't pretend for a second to be an expert on social media or marketing, even though it might be something, you know, especially marketing, something that I talk about a lot. I'm talking about personal experiences, other people's experiences and books that I've read on marketing, etc. But I'm definitely not an expert. I will give you a few ideas, but these are my personal opinions and they're not based on any kind of long-term testing or evidence or anything like that. But these are my opinions since you've asked for my opinion. So how can you grow your following on social media? I think first and foremost, you need to focus on giving value. Now, if you're selling leather goods online, you might be wondering, well, how can I give value to people following me on social media? Well, that is really up to you, but it's when you give people value that they want to follow you. There's usually a reason that people follow you and they might like your pictures, they like might like what you're saying about your leather goods, they might like your personal branding, they might like the way that you describe what you do. But whatever you do, when you put out content, you must make it so that they want to consume it. And any way that you can provide value for people, people will want to follow that and learn more. In my own social media, for example, the at Leathercraft Masterclass on Instagram, I focus on trying to provide value for leather crafters by giving away a lot of the tips and things I've found that work for me over the years. So by taking pictures of what I'm talking about so that people can clearly see, or even doing video, which you may have seen, uh, 60 second video on Instagram, I try and aim on providing as much value as I can. And that's something that will generate followers and keep followers. So number one, always try and focus on giving value any way that you can. Some people just take amazing photographs who, you know, their photography is just on point every single time. And regardless of whether the person is really interested in the product, 
or you know whatever they might be interested in outside of just the photography it's the photography and the way you, that you take pictures that gives them value it makes them feel good they look at what you um, you know what you're doing and how you're doing it and they just love what you're doing and how you present it so you know having good photography is, is definitely one way of giving value number two a recommendation for growing your following on social media come from an honest place I find it's very easy to see someone who's being phony someone who's not coming from an honest place where you can tell very quickly that the posts that they're coming out with are aimed at just growing a following and it doesn't seem like they're trying to give value for the sake of giving value and helping other people it's it's difficult to, to explain exactly how but there's some posts you just know that there is no real on it they're not doing it for the community they're not doing it to you know provide something for other people they're doing it for just selfish reasons now that is it's really up to you what you do but when you come from an honest place, when you come from uh, a sincere place, you tend to show that through. And people can pick up on that. People can tell. Even if they can't put their finger on why, people can see that you're coming from an honest place and that you're somebody to follow, that you're somebody who gives value because you want to give value or that you want to provide something for your community, for your following, for your tribe, essentially. So when you post, think about why you're doing it and what kind of message that you want to be giving out when you're putting something out there on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or whatever, whatever platform that you, you prefer. The next one is, what story are you trying to tell? And this is an important one. Now, when I'm providing value for people, for example, leather tips that I've changed the name of now, it's now hashtag leather hacks. I focus on what story that I'm trying to tell. So if, for example, you see a picture of somebody and there's a product and it's half finished and there's tools laying around on the table, the story that they're trying to tell with that is these aren't purchased from a factory that we had these leather goods made at. These are tools that we make in-house or in the workshop or in the atelier and these are the tools that we're using to make this product. And that is an honest place as well. So that's, you know, being honest with people. You're showing the process that you're doing. And this comes down to being in, the, in your photographs as well, showing you making something so that your followers or potential followers know that it's you that's making these products. It's you that's making these leather goods. If you go on an Instagram account and you just see pictures of finished products all over the place, you know, nicely presented and everything, not always, but you can almost guarantee that that person has perhaps designed the product and had it made by a factory, or they've paid someone to design a product and then paid a factory to produce these leather goods. And that's absolutely fine. That's their, that's their business model and that's what they're going for. But that's not really what the leather craft masterclass is, is aimed at, not those kind of people. Um, and that's, you know, that's actually a very, very good way to make money in this business is to take you out of it entirely. It's not always the best way 
to earn the big bucks, so to speak, by making everything yourself and selling it yourself, taking all your photographs yourself and doing everything as one individual person. But as an artisan, as somebody who's trying to design, create, make leather goods for people to, in order to sell, you have to kind of show your story. You have to show what you're doing, how you're doing it, showing that you're coming from an honest place. And whenever you make a post for social media, the photograph that you want to take is the one that tells the best story because people love a story. People like to know more information about what's happening in the background, why they're doing what they're doing, and what motivates that person to keep doing what they're doing. And you can also put that in your comments on your on your post about, you know, talk about what you're doing, talk about what motivates you, talk about why you got into leather goods, talk about what excites you. And then that way, together with a picture, you can then start to build a story. So that's my third recommendation, is think about what story that you're trying to tell with every post that you make. With every time you update your status, every time you upload a video, what is the story? What information am I trying to, to put across about what I do? Number four, and this is a big one. This is a really big one. Engage with people. And I see a lot of this where somebody will come out with a post, they'll get a good amount of likes, and you'll look at the comment section and there's people who have come on there and they've taken the time to write down something about what they like about your post and disregard bots entirely. Don't even, I, anytime I get a bot, and then for those of you who don't know, that that's just means robot. That's an automated comment by a program or an app that you can download. You can pay companies to automatically follow certain hashtags and then comment on their stuff. And it's usually a, a comment like, this is great. Keep up the good work. Um, pick of, you know, best picture ever. I really like your stuff. Why don't you check us out too? You know, all this kind of thing that could almost apply to every single picture on Instagram. You know, taking Instagram as an example. Ignore those. But people that have posted a comment and they've described something in the picture. So it's unmistakable that they have seen the picture and then take the time to go, that's a great wallet. I really like how the blue contrasts against the red stitching. You know, there's, there's no way a bot comment could do that because you'd have to look at the picture and then figure out what you like about it and then comment on it. So those genuine comments that come up, and some of them might be genuine questions. It might be something, a customer, potential customer saying, how can I order this? It could be another leather crafter going, wow, that's amazing. What kind of leather is this? Giving you a, a great opportunity then to then discuss the virtues of, of what you're using. But I see so many accounts where people are just ignoring comments. And I see it all the time. If somebody's taken the time to comment on your on your account, on your post, then engage, engage as much as you can. I mean, if you're getting, you know, 40 and above comments, sometimes it's very difficult to keep up. And, and I completely get that. But take the time to reply to people and thank them for asking a question, thank them for taking the time to appreciate the work that you're doing. And you can ask questions back. If somebody says, you know, I really like, um, 
the colors and, and the way it contrasts you know you can say thank you very much i appreciate the comment um what is it about contrast threads that you like or you know i'm just making that up right now it's don't necessarily do that but you know you can engage with the person feel free to engage with them and ask them a question back there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and you can generate more engagement and in fact instagram watches you when you post and the algorithm right now uh, that's changed since january i believe and i believe that hasn't changed since then is if somebody comments on your account on your post on instagram you have 60 minutes in which to engage with them with i believe it's three or four and above words so if you just put thanks that doesn't count as engagement so you've got 60 minutes to reply to somebody who's commented and what that will do is it will then show the other 90% of your audience your post. So it will select 10% of your audience to show a post to until you start engaging. Or if you start getting lots of likes from those 10%, it will then go, okay, this is, we can qualify this as a good picture. There's a lot of engagement or there's a lot of activity around this picture. We're now going to show it to 100% of their audience. So the other 90%. So sometimes you'll really need to know how to work with a particular social media platform, whether that be, you know, as I mentioned before, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, etc. So engage with your audience, ask questions. Some people, you know, are a little bit shy, and I get that with replying to comments. And, you know, sometimes I'll go on account and I will put a comment on there and I'll say something really nice about their work. Perhaps I'll engage with them and ask them a question. And then it will come up in my notifications that they liked my question. I kind of get it. If, if, if you're not into replying to people, you've seen my question, you like it, but it's not really benefiting you. you know. So if you can engage or reply back, then you're gonna, it's going to show to other followers that you actually talk and engage. And that's what people like. And that's what keeps people following. If you get a reputation for answering people's questions, if you get a reputation for replying back and thanking people, you are going to not necessarily gain followers, but you'll definitely retain followers. And that will overall increase the speed of, of which your following improves. So number four, engage with people and don't be afraid to ask questions back either. Number five um, for how I grow a following on social media. Number five is comment first. Absolutely. Comment first. Take the time out of your day. And I understand if you have a lot of people that you follow, and I try and follow back as many people as I can. I don't always manage that, but I try and follow as many people as I can. And when I go through my feed of all the people that I'm following, I try and go through and drop a comment and like as many as I can, but I drop a comment on their on their post, about their post, and oftentimes, through the principle of reciprocity, people like to pay you back. So sometimes I'll comment and I'll say, that's, you know, that's beautifully stitched. That's really nice. Love those edges. Love the colors. And it's always genuine. If I don't like it, I won't necessarily comment about that. I might say, you know, it's, it's an amazing photograph, but I will try and focus on something that's good about their post, something that I enjoyed as a viewer, as a follower. And I will comment first. And oftentimes you will get those people. And I don't necessarily do this to get comments back. But you will find that people will want to. You know, not necessarily immediately, 
but it will make them want to later on when they see your post. Oh, yes, that's Phil. He commented something really nice on my posts. Yeah, I'll say, you know, that's a really wonderful picture. Or where did you get that from? Or thank you for sharing that tip, etc., etc. Hashtag leather hack. So number five, be the first to comment. Try and give value first. Don't always wait for people to give you value. Always give value first. And if they don't respond, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just do you. Just be you. Come from an honest place and try and give first. Number six. And this is something I'm guilty of. Put my hand up. I'm guilty of doing this and getting it wrong. Regular stories. Regular stories. Some days I will put out a ton of stories. And some days, you know, the whole day goes by. I've been busy filming. I've been busy creating leather goods. I've been busy on, you know, replying to email questions. You know, it's, uh, there's a lot of work to do in my day. It never stops. But regular stories is such a high value feature. Now, stories on Instagram are where you can take a 15 second video or you can take a picture and you can write some text and you can put it in your story and it comes up at the top of uh, people's accounts in a little circle and you can see the latest stories. Now, if you do one story, eventually all the other people that that, you know, your your followers follow will then do their stories and your story starts to get lost at the back of the queue. When you do another story, your story then goes to the front of the queue again and then starts to make its way back. So you do another story. So if you can do, and this this might be, you know, some people might think I don't have time for this. Well, if you're in a full-time business, you need to make time. And I'm guilty of not doing this, but you need to be putting out, say, 5 to 15 stories a day. I'm not a big fan of people who've got so many stories that it's just continuously endless. Um, that might work for some people, if that works for you, absolutely. But I tend to kind of skip ahead if somebody's got, you know, 20 or 30 stories, because I find that each story tends to get gets a little bit diluted, um, and you start to zone out and lose a bit of interest. Remember, people's attention span these days, especially with, you know, the speed that you can get through social media and consume information, it's difficult to retain people's uh, attention. So I think five to 15 stories is about the ideal range that you should be putting out every day. And you can tell people about your latest post. You can ask people a question and get them to respond. And then you can put that in a story and then you can write an answer to that person's question. There's so many things that you can do, but regular stories keep people engaged, but also keep people reminding people that you exist in the first place so if they've missed your latest post in their feed and if somebody's following thousands of people it's so easy to do because they're just constant but you can keep refreshing your story so that it comes up so if you've got you know 10 posts um sorry 10 stories in a day you keep coming up in their story section at the top of the instagram app so regular stories, I think there's a lot of value in there and it can be, it doesn't have to be a high quality photo, guys. You can even screenshot the post that you've just put out and then put that into your story and say, hey guys, check out my latest post and then put something interesting like there's some great information on how to do this or I've got a question that I want you guys to answer and then they're going to go, oh, I wonder what that is and then go check out your post, like it, comment, etc., and it's a it's a game. It's a big game. But knowing how to play the game is essential if you want to succeed. Because although we do a very historic craft, we're doing something with a lot of 
history, um, a lot of traditional, you know, handwork. The way that the world communicates now is a com in a completely different way. So knowing how to work social media, and I like to use the example of keeping one foot in the past and one foot in the future, is the best success for doing a traditional craft, but speaking in a modern language, the way that people like to consume information today. So don't be, don't get left behind, keep up to date, follow the latest changes in algorithms that social media puts out, because when you understand the game, you can win. So I hope that answers some of your questions. These are just completely my opinions and from what I've found and from what I've researched. So that's all it is, just my opinion. But those are my top six recommendations. Number one, give value. Number two, come from an honest place. Number three, what story are you trying to tell? Number four, engage with people and ask questions. Number five, comment first. Number six, regular stories. So thank you to Sarah from New York for asking that. The next question is the first one from the UK. Yay, Jason. Jason from the UK. Is it better to burnish or edge paint your leather edges? Mm, that is the question, isn't it? That's, um, that's an interesting one. There, and there is really no right or wrong answer, unless you're talking about chrome tan leather where you just really can't burnish your edges. Um, is it better to burnish or edge paint your leather edges? That's really a personal preference. I don't think there is a right or wrong because although you can burnish chrome and you can burnish vegetable tan leather, I don't always burnish vegetable tan leather. Sometimes I will, you know, neat, neatly cut the edges of uh, a wallet, a bag, etc., etc., watch trap, and then I will use leather edge paint. So just because it can be burnished doesn't mean I always burnish. It depends what look I'm going for. It really does. I find a burnished edge can give a more, a little bit more of a rustic theme to your leather goods, but not always, because if you're making a, an attache case, uh, a soft-sided briefcase from vegetable tan leather, a really nice, well-finished, neat burnished edge looks really classy so i can't say that it makes it look rustic but it's usually more seen in uh in a rustic uh, leather goods etc rather than really fine luxury leather goods but that's just a very broad generalization and i just gave an example where that's not necessarily true but it, it really does come down to personal preference sometimes and you can try this out on a, a piece of scrap and, and tell me what you think. Sometimes I have done this, where I will make a product from vegetable tan leather. I will then profile the edges, so bevel the edges. I will then burnish it, but I'm burnishing not so much for a shine. What I'm doing is I'm trying to create a shape. So I'm using, say, a wooden burnisher to create a, a uniform domed effect over the top. Then what I will do is I'll give it a lot of time to completely dry out. Maybe the next day, I want it to be as dry as possible. Then what I will do is I will get a fine grit sandpaper, say around 800 grit, for example, and I will sand that burnished edge. What I'm not trying to do is sand it with a coarse 
sandpaper so that it raises the uh, the fibers. What I'm trying to do is just rough the surface, but still maintaining that shape that has been imparted by the wooden burnisher. So now what it's going to do is it's going to accept edge paint. So that's a, a huge no-no is to burnish an edge and then try and paint it. But if you sand it first so that you're preparing that contoured edge for edge paint, you don't have to do multiple layers get a, to get a domed effect. Now the downside to that is you'll put on, say, one layer of edge paint, even a thin layer, and it will dry really, really well, and it will look really good. But you have to remember you've only got one layer on there. The issue with that is it can wear out a little bit quicker than two or three layers of edge paint. Now a workaround, so you have to bear with me, a workaround is to contour the edges with an edge beveler, burnish the edges, with a wooden burnisher to profile the edges to give that rounded shape let it dry rough it with say 800 grit then use a spirit dye of the same color that you're going to be using of edge paint so say i want to make the edges black with edge paint i'm going to use a black spirit dye and i'm going to go around those roughened burnished edges and then let it dry completely the edge will still be nicely shaped it will still be roughed from the sandpaper and also you're essentially drying out the edge very slightly. So you're almost degreasing it, which is one of the problems with using spirit dyes. But in this case, it's preparing the edge to absorb the edge paint even better. Further down the line, if say, you know, five, 10 years time, you've, you've done this on a bag and the corners have worn the edge paint, guess what? The leather is the same color underneath because you dyed it. So it's not gonna show through as if you painted the edges, the raw edges black, you wore through the edges or the customer wore through the edges from just years of use and it's a completely different color underneath. If you burnish the edges, roughen them up, treat them with a spirit dye to dry them out and also dye the leather, just one, maybe not even two layers is necessary and you get a really nice clean finish and if it does wear out on a corner, uh, it shouldn't peel if, you, if it's done right and you're using a high quality leather edge paint like United's for example. But if it does wear through, the leather is the same color underneath. So it doesn't look anywhere near as worn as if you wore through leather edge paint and it's a different color underneath. That's just something to try out. That's just an idea. So give that a go if you're interested. Um, but I find that edge paint looks better for longer than a burnished edge. So a burnished edge can sometimes look better than leather edge paint. It looks more traditional, has a brilliant shine to it, but it does lose its luster rather quickly. All it takes is going past a brick wall. Um, you know, all it takes is, you know, roughing against a floor or something like that. And that, you know, it really does show up the scratches very easily, regardless of what kind of finish that you use, whether it's wax, whether you use tokenol, whether you use gum tragacanth, uh, Fenori, whatever edge paint, you, uh, whatever edge preparation that you're using for your burnishing, it does tend to look worn quicker. Now that might be in keeping with a rustic look that you're going with, so it really is your choice. So it's a difficult question to ask. I've thrown in an idea for you to try, which is a bit of a compromise between the two of them, but I do find edge paint looks better for longer. Another example, um, going on from 
dyeing underneath the edge pane. So dyeing the edge first and then using edge pane is piping. Uh, piping is something that I like to use uh, on soft-sided briefcases made from chrome tan leather. So more modern, kind of contemporary designs. I think piping looks really nice, especially laptop briefcases and things like that that I've made in the past. Piping is another good one. And even Vuitton use different color piping cord to the leather on the outside of the piping, which I find really bizarre because whenever I've seen um, a Vuitton bag where the piping has worn, and it will wear, it's, it's quite a natural thing to happen, especially on the corners, they tend to use a black hard rubber core with whatever color that they're using on the outside, say tan for instance, on some of their more common bags. I would always recommend that same mentality of have the core or whatever's going to be worn through underneath the same color as whatever's on the outside. So kind of digressing from your question here, but in, in the same, for the same example, I, I like to use, say, you know, black leather cord on the inside of black leather piping. And it doesn't have to be leather. Um, I mean, it's very romantic to, to make everything leather on your bag, but it's not always necessary. Um, even on really expensive Birkins and Kellys and things like that that are piping, they're not uh, always uh, leather on the inside, but they're usually a cord or some kind of string material to prevent stretch. So whenever something wears through, make sure whatever, whatever is underneath is the same color. And this goes to belts that I make from English bridal leather. I've never been a big fan, unless it's done as a part of the design, I've never been a big fan of bridal leather that isn't struck through, that isn't dyed through. Because when it wears through, say a black bridal leather belt and you've you've painted the edges black, etc. When it wears through, it's just a natural color underneath and it shows its age a lot quicker and not necessarily in a good way, not like it's showing its age and it's getting worn in and it's developed a patina and things like that. When you when something wears through and it's the same color underneath, it just it looks like it's aging a lot better. So whenever something wears through, make sure whatever is underneath is the same color. So that's something I recommend. Moving on to our last listener's question. This is Eddie from Singapore. And Eddie writes in or DMs in Eddie DMs in, what is the best hardware to use for leather bags, etc.? Well, Eddie, uh, that, again, that's another really uh, difficult one to answer because it's, it so depends on what you're making, uh, the design, the idea behind what you're making, you know, what's, um, what kind of style that you're going for. So what hardware is the best? It's difficult to say, but I will give you some pointers in what to look for in hardware used for leather goods. And hardware can really be one of those things that can make or break your leather goods. So it can it can enhance what you've made or it can completely ruin it. And it's really up to you to then factor in what kind of look that you're going for and then choose the appropriate hardware. Some people will design their leather goods, a leather bag, and then they will look at hardware. Second, some people will go, I want to use this hardware, I want to use this lock, I want to use this clasp, I want to use um, you know, these attachments, these D-rings, etc., and then create the bag around that. How you do it, what order you do it, is really up to you. But these are the things that I look for in hardware. Number one, metal. The type of metal that you're working with 
plays a big role in how long it's going to last. So I tend to prefer hardware that is made from these three different kinds of metal. Number one, stainless steel. Number two, nickel. And number three, brass. So whether they are the end product or they're plated, those are the base metals that I prefer to work with. So you might have, you know, solid brass hardware that's then gold plated, like Abbas fashion accessories, for example, or the uh, most of the brass hardware that they produce is gold plated or nickel plated brass. You can get nickel hardware as the nickel is the base and then that is gold plated. It's usually a little harder than brass, but nickel doesn't have, it's a silver metal obviously, but it doesn't have that warm kind of mm, association with, with leather goods. It's, it's not that much of a popular choice, but it's a good metal to work with. It's a silver metal, but it has a very slightly gold color to it. So if you put it up to another silver metal, uh, sort of silver looking metal like stainless steel, for example, it has a slight gold look to it. Not that dissimilar to uh, silver, literal silver that's had a very slight patina on it. But uh, nickel is definitely a good metal to work with. Stainless steel, when it comes to, and this is hard to find, very hard to find, solid stainless steel hardware, cast stainless steel hardware. Um, it's arguably one of the best metals to work with. It's extremely tough, good scratch resistance, and, and doesn't rust, or very unlikely to rust, depending on which grade of stainless steel. 316L stainless steel is what I prefer to work with. That's what they're making, uh, say for example, Rolex watches. If they if it's a steel case or a steel bracelet, uh, 316L is, is what they'll be working with. So it's, it's very, very rust resistant. So it's stainless steel, not stain proof steel, but very, very rust resistant. Um, it's good for, you know, deep sea diving as in uh, some of the Rolex watches. But it is difficult to come by. It's very difficult to find, you know, a solid 316L stainless steel lock or, you know, hardware so that you can get all the hardware of your bag in, in stainless steel. Very difficult to do. But when I do buy any of these metals, I prefer either machined or cast. So uh, another company that I work with sometimes is Abbey England. And they tend to cast a lot of their goods, uh, especially in brass. And that's something that I, I prefer as well. And brass, I mean, it's, it's one of those things. It just goes so well with leather. I put a post up uh, yesterday, in fact. And uh, I put, and it got a lot of engagement, which goes back to one of my original questions. I put the question up, what is it about brass and leather that just seems to work so well? And I've got quite a few people responding about what they think the reason is that it works so well. A few of the comments mentioned that it, it just ages with the leather really well because brass tends to show a patina over time and, and so do certain types of leather. So, so leather that doesn't patina well or age well, for example, heavily pigmented chrome tan leather, that tends to look best when it's new and then kind of looks worse over time. Whereas vegetable tan leather, for example, arguably tends to look better with age to a point to a point i mean i'm digressing here but when i see someone saying you know look at this great wallet it's uh, been used for two years and it looks better and it just looks like something that needs to be put down i don't, I don't I know mm, I'm, that's a personal preference but i i think that leather goods that have been looked after well 
and this is real personal preference, some people just like that weathered look, like it's been around the world 15 times and it's developed a lot of character and I can, I can appreciate that. But I like the look of leather where it's shown signs of use and age and it's darkened and become more polished in areas where it's been, you know, worn a little bit more, but it still has that well looked after look to it like you know it's been fed regularly with a leather feed or a leather wax it's been polished and it's it's been well looked after i kind of look it's aging gracefully and that's why i like to to see and that's why i like brass as well it's, it tends to age gracefully my second recommendation for what is the best hardware for leather bags etc is avoid cheap zinc alloys uh, zinc alloy is a very cheap metal to work with it's cheap to produce it's cheap the material itself is cheap uh, it machines easily it casts easily but it doesn't last long it tends to be quite brittle sometimes so you'll end up with hardware snapping or breaking it tends to have cheap platings that aren't gold plating but it looks like gold it's um, kind of a, like a gilding metal over the top that gives it a gold look and it just doesn't it looks it looks cheap it looks like the <laughs> you know sometimes the the back of a taxi uh, a taxi cab you have these uh tissue dispensers that and someone's put this uh really gaudy looking gold cover over the top <laughs> it kind of has that look to it it doesn't look like gold it doesn't look like brass it just looks like fake <laughs> it's it's difficult to describe maybe many people might not know what i'm talking about but but cheap zinc alloys that are, have this gold-like gilding metal over the top, it just looks cheap. And it's something you just don't see on high-quality luxury leather goods. I believe the, the zinc alloy is called Zamac. So anytime you see Zamac in the description, or zinc alloy is the base metal, or if you're not sure, if they're not advertising that it is brass that's coated with you know gold plating, that has a gold plating to it, if it's a solid brass, solid nickel, then it's either going to be zinc alloy. So if they're not boasting about the base metal, it's probably zinc alloy or it's steel or iron. And the issue with that is steel is going to be very, very strong, unlikely to snap, etc. But as soon as that, whatever the covering metal, the gilding metal is scratched, it will then start rusting. And that is probably the biggest sin outside of using Zamac. Uh, maybe even worse than using Zamac, because you then get your hardware and it's starting to rust and it will just get worse over time. Um, same with iron. Some people still use cast iron and then use a cheap uh, coating material over the top, sometimes even brass plated iron. Um, and it's it's it just doesn't last. So it's my advice to you is, is more to to do with what to avoid than necessarily what to go for. Just avoid Base metals such as mild steel, iron, or Zamac. So realistically, when it comes down to choosing the, the best hardware for your leather bags, just make sure that you're buying quality from reputable companies. And if you're not sure, email the company and ask, what is the base metal? What are you making the, the hardware from? And just make sure that you're getting good quality base metals, regardless of whether it's plated or not. It's the base metal that's, that's arguably the most important part. So Eddie from Singapore, I hope that answers your question. So the last topic I'm going to discuss uh, in this podcast today is 
something a little bit personal, uh, but it does come around to leather goods. So I will uh, I, I kind of bring it back round again to make it relevant to this podcast. But it's, it's a bit of a personal thing to talk about for me. My uncle, who I haven't seen for almost, I'd say, 15 years, my auntie and uncle, my uncle's not doing too well health-wise, and I found out about it relatively recently, so I arranged to go up there and visit him. I am definitely of the opinion it's better to visit someone while they're still alive than make the long journey when they've passed away, and and then make the effort to go and see them when they're no longer there. I mean, I've been guilty of that in the past, but I think it's it's the wrong way of doing things. The right way is to, is to make the effort while they're still around and whilst they can still appreciate family and friends coming to visit them. So I yesterday I went up there, I made the journey, uh, took my other half and visited them. And it was one of these situations where you think, why have I left it so long you know, it was such a wonderful day. It was great to see them. It's been way too long. Um, but I thought, you know, just to sacrifice one day can make all the difference to someone who really needs it. And I, I think that's important. But, you know, it was still it was still the same uncle, you know, the same cheeky, hilarious sense of humor. Um, and it was really nice to see. My auntie, my auntie was really fascinated with what I'm doing with, you know, making leather goods with the courses and, uh, you know, starting my own business and, and the story of what I've been up to all these years. You know, she was absolutely fascinated. And, and I sort of started talking about uh, leather goods and high quality leather goods and uh, showed her some of my some of the things that I've made as well. And, and she absolutely loved it. You know, so proud. It's so nice to have someone um, who really can appreciate what, what you're doing. And uh, on the subject of, of leather goods, she said, oh, I, did, it, did I ever tell you that I used to work for the, the Hermes family? And I thought, no. I said, no, you've, you never told me that. She said, yeah, um, when I was a teenager, I moved from England to France to work as an au pair for the MS family. And they have a huge country estate in Normandy. And every year, especially around summertime, they would make the trip from Paris and they would all come down to the country house in Normandy. And she came over from England and she said she, you know, she only had school French. She didn't really understand a lot of French. But uh, she stayed with them for about a year and looked after the children. And she said that the um, the family were absolutely wonderful. They were so nice to her, and they would treat her like a member of the family. And she used to sit with them every dinner time and have meals with them for for the entire year. And she was it was funny because she was talking about people that I've read about and people that I've heard about, and she's you know now saying that she's kind of kept up with she doesn't stay in contact with them but she's kept up with some of the children and some of the babies that she looked after and then now running parts of the for the MS company and uh, it's absolutely fascinating she was talking about the some of the MS bags that she's had the scarves and some of the some of the outrageous stories that would go on in the in it was absolutely fantastic and i thought 
I'm going to have to get her on the podcast at some point because it's such a fascinating story. I purposely didn't ask her too many questions. And she said she's got an album with all the pictures that she took of her stay in the uh, in the family estate. And I thought, I'm going to have to come back and I'm going to have to get this story because it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, and I think it would be something really interesting to include in the podcast. And uh, and she was so excited about talking about it as well. And uh, but uh, I just thought it was it was so bizarre. It was really surreal the way that she was talking about some of these people that I've read about. And of course, you know, anyone who's involved in fine leather goods, Hermes really stands out as a company that is at the forefront of of luxury leather goods. Whether or not they're better than the top artisans in the world is you know is irrelevant because the way that they responded to the to the rise in consumerism for luxury leather goods wasn't necessarily to outsource production to other countries and other factories and other companies it was to build a school where they could train more artisans so that they could hire more artisans to do to produce more goods and that was definitely a different way of thinking um to some of the bigger luxury leather houses that are still going that are much bigger than Hermes now but the way they responded to that rise I think is fascinating and to hear about their their story and about the family and about her time there in Normandy with the Hermes family it was uh, amazing and they called, they used to call her the English Rose that was her nickname is the English Rose <laughs> so yeah I, I think that's something that I would love to share um, it probably won't be anytime soon but Definitely in the future of the podcast, I would uh, I'd love to have her on, and and go up there and uh, and and interview her about that, and and you know bring out some of the pictures and and describe them for you guys. But I will leave it on that note. Thank you for listening as always. And again, any questions, please feel free to keep them coming in, regardless of whether they're some of them are quite popular questions. I will try and discuss as many as I can in future podcasts. And again, I'm definitely working hard towards testing out the best way that I can bring high quality podcasts for various people and artisans and people working in various industries around the world to do with leather. Um, I really want to get those interviews going. But right now I'm working very hard to make sure that I can bring you the best quality and the best experience for this podcast. So your patience is very, very much appreciated. But in the meantime, I will still keep this podcast up. I will still keep producing content every Friday, 6 p.m. Be there or be square. 